Revelation chapter 19. I've been preaching a series of sermons. This took me a couple of years. I've been preaching a series of sermons on the book of Revelation. And uh, I've taught through the book of Revelation uh, multiple times here at the church, but I, I decided one time that I've got so many people that aren't, aren't able to make the Wednesday night services. I've taught through the book of Revelation on Wednesday night services. I've taught, taught, taught through the book of Revelation through Sunday school, and some people are just not able to make it up here, and they're only able to make it up here on Sunday service. So I thought, you know, they're not getting everything they should, I think they should get as far as the book of Revelation. They really want to hear it. And so I decided I just wanted to preach a series of sermons out of it, and I've been taking it, just trying to read. We're, we're going. I'm reading every verse as I preach, and and some of these chapters I'm going through kind of quick in one Sunday. And here's chapter 19. It's going to take me multiple Sundays to preach through Revelation chapter 19. And I want to pick it back up. I want to pick it back up at um, verse five. Let's pick up verse five. And I, I finished off last uh, time I preached in the book of Revelation. I finished off finished off talking about. Uh, the lamb and his wife, which would be the church, and how we were getting ourselves ready at the judgment seat of Christ. Look at verse 5. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigning. Omnipotent meaning all-powerful. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready at the judgment seat of Christ. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings, of God. There's nothing obscure about that. Everybody understands what a marriage is. Everything, everybody understands what a supper is. There's going to come a time when the Lamb and Jesus Christ and the church is married that there'll be a great supper there. There'll be a great celebration. And I can't wait. And verse 10 is what I want to preach on this morning. And I fell at the feet to worship him. This is the guy that's proclaiming all this. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant. And of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, Jesus, worship God. So what there it is, there's either, uh, it could be one of the apostles, it could be one of the angels there proclaiming all this. And John is there and he sees all this marvelous thing going on. So John hits the dirt and he gets down to worshiping. He goes, hey, don't be worshiping me. See, he's a bad pope. A pope, you know, he'd want you to kiss his finger and kiss his toes. No, 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 don't be worshiping me. Stand up, worship God, amen. Worship God. For the end of verse 10, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit, the spirit of prophecy. Brother Hank, do you mind praying over this sermon, please, brother? Lord, we just come to you, Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning, Lord. And thank you for all the folks that have turned out, Lord. And Father, we just pray, blessing upon each and every one, Lord. We pray that your Holy Spirit would come, Lord, and you'd have his will in your life. Father, we 
Yes, Lord, please, Lord. We thank you most of all for the precious and redeeming blood of your son, Jesus Christ. We ask it all in his precious name. Amen. Amen. So, I want to preach this morning on a very important topic. It's prophecy. Prophecy. Because it says there, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It doesn't say the testimony of Jesus is his healing or his teachings. It says the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. Brothers and sisters, prophecy is why you should believe this book right here. And, I, and if you're in, the, in here this morning, or maybe you're underneath the sound of my voice, and you don't believe in God, maybe you don't believe in Jesus Christ, maybe you're just kind of doubtful of this book you have in your life. You've heard about this Bible, maybe you're kind of doubtful, and you're kind of wondering what's so important about this book, what, may, what sets it apart from the millions of other books in the world. I'm going to show you this morning. And I'm going to show you by proof that there's something going on in this book that's supernatural. You know, I've had people say to me, like, I had people say to me that men, uh, men wrote this book, and I always agree with them. Yes, yeah, 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 men wrote this book. Well, that book's written by men. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Men wrote this book, but God moved men to write stuff out of that book. And he said, well, why do you believe that? Well, I'm about to show you. If you've heard this, I'm about to show you why, why I believe this book to be the word of God, the little words of God. Because it says that a testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, look at... John chapter 13. I'm going, to, I'm going to go through some scripture this morning because you've got to go through the Bible to prove the Bible. But turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 19. John chapter 13. Let's start with the words of Jesus because it says that, a prophecy, that the testimony of Jesus is prophecy, the spirit of prophecy. Spirit of prophecy. The way you know you got the right Savior is prophecy. The way you know you got the right God is prophecy. The way you know you got the right book is prophecy. It all hinges on prophecy. Prophecy means telling what's going to happen before it happens. That's prophecy. That's proclaiming something is going to take place before it takes place. That's prophecy. John chapter 13, verse 19, Jesus is talking about somebody's going to betray him here. After he washes the disciples' feet, and that includes Judas, and he knows Judas is going to betray him, and he washes his feet anyway. Jesus washes his disciples' feet before the Last Supper, and he gets up and he's saying, somebody's going to betray me, and he, I know somebody's going to betray Look at verse 18. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. See, there's prophecy. That's straight out of Psalm 41. He says, now verse 19, now I tell you before it come that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am he. He said, I'm telling you what's going to take place before it takes place so you'll know that I'm the son of God. So Jesus is saying, the way you know I'm the son of God is I'm telling you what takes place before it takes place. Look at ch uh, chapter 14, John chapter 14. Now, and we'll slow down in a minute, but look at John chapter 14, verse 29. John chapter 14, verse 29. The reason why you should believe Jesus Christ is because he's prophetic. He's got the spirit of prophecy. He tells you what's going to take place before it takes place. And this is an amazing thing that God is doing and Jesus, Jesus Christ is doing as the Son of God. Look at John chapter 14, verse 29. Now, he, now here in these scriptures here, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He tells them there's a comforter coming. The Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to come and dwell in you. And he tells them in verse 29, And I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might 
believe. He said, I'm saying all this to you that when it does come to pass, you'll believe, you'll know that I am the one I say I am. The two ways you know you got the right Savior is prophecy and the resurrection. And I preach and preach and hammer and hammer about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and that shows you you got the one that's going to give you eternal life. Muhammad is dead. Buddha's in a grave. He's dead. But Jesus Christ is alive forevermore. You got the right one. We say, that's the one. If you got somebody that says, I'll give you eternal life. If you got a man that says, I am the resurrection. Well, you better prove it. And he went in the grave and came out and proved it. Muhammad never did that. Buddha never did that. And none of these religious leaders, none of them did that. That's how you know you got the right one. When you get down and pray and ask Jesus Christ to save you, you're praying to a risen, living Savior who can hear what you're saying. He hears you. He's right there with you. You're not praying to a philosophy or an idea or some guy that lived 2,000 years ago. He did live 2,000 years ago, but he's alive right now still. That's right. But the prophecy is confirming that, and that's what the testimony of Jesus Christ is, is the spirit of prophecy now. I'm going to show you some stuff out of your Bible to help you along. Look at Isaiah chapter 41. We're going to be, most of the rest of this morning, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah. So go to Isaiah. Let's look at this. We're going to, go, we're going to look at prophecy. We're going to look at what God says about prophecy. And I hope this helps you. And I hope you can remember some of these verses. Write some of these verses down. See, what separates out the pretenders from the contenders is prophecy. It's prophecy. What separates out the pretenders from the contenders is prophecy. What separates all the other religious writings in the world? Because people say, well, the, the Muslims, they have the book of Quran, and they have the Hadith, and they have all these little writings, they have all these religious writings. What makes the Bible so much special? It's holy because of prophecy. That's what separates it out. And I'm going to show that to you. I'll prove it to you physically. I'll prove it to you. Look, okay, look at Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 21. Isaiah 41, verse 21. So the proof of God, God says, the, the way you can prove, God's going to tell you, the way I'm going to prove to you that I'm God is I'm going to be prophetic. God says, the way I'm going to prove to you that I'm a God, that I'm the real God, is I'm going to tell you what's going to happen before it happens. Look at verse 21. Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the king of Jacob. Let them bring them forth. Show us what shall happen. You know, prophesize. Tell us what's going to happen. Let them show the former things what they be, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them, or declare us things for to come. Show us what's going to come. Prophesy. God says, your gods need to prophesy. Your gods, your false gods, they need to show us what's to come. Look at verse 23. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that ye are gods. Yea, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and behold it together. God says about them, behold, ye are nothing, and your work of naught and abomination is he that chooseth you. God says, if you're really a God, say, say something, show me something that's going to happen before it happens. Prophesy. Show us things that's coming up. When I say it's going to happen, it's amazing how God says this is what's going to happen, and it happens. And I'm going to show you some of these, these occurrences in your Bible, in your very Bible right there. But that's what God's showing. The proof of deity is prophecy. 
The proof of deity is prophecy. Look at verse 23. That we may know that ye are gods, yea, do good or do evil. Nothing drives me any more nutty or batty than to see the weather doing all that it's doing. And, and of course, they blame it on climate change, and they blame it on this and blame it on that, on the cows, uh, flatulence somewhere over here. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it, the kids are driving their cars too fast over here. And all this stuff, they're blaming all this weather. And this is what they'll say. Oh, we've made Mother Nature mad. We've made Mother Nature very angry. You morons, it's not Mother Nature, it's Father God. Amen? Amen. It's Father God. You don't need to be worried about Mother Nature. Mother Nature never told you what she was going to do that I've ever heard. Amen? But I can read in this book and it's in black and white. Well, God tells exactly what I'm going to do. If this nation doesn't do what I'm going to say, I'm going to stop the rain from coming. If this nation doesn't do what I want to say, I'm going to bring hurricanes. I'm going to bring tornadoes. I'm going to bring pestilence. I'm going to bring famine. That's what my God says. And it's amazing in the Bible, that's exactly what happens. That's why I hear at Indian Gap, when it stops raining, we don't start saying, oh, Mother Nature's mad. We get down on our knees and say, Father God, bring us some rain. We know who brings the rain and we know who stops the rain. It's Father God. It's not Mother Nature. It's not. Why are you praying to another God? It says that we may know that you are God's, yea, do good or do evil. That little God that you're bound down to over in uh, Brazil or over there in the Philippines or wherever you might be bound down to some kind of statue, wherever you're bound down to that statue, even if it's here in America, let that statue do something to make me afraid. Let it do something. Let it say it's going to do something. Let it say this is going to happen if you don't. Let it say that. It can't. He says, you, you can't do it. God says, verse 24, Behold, you're of nothing, and your work of not of nothing, an abomination is he that chooseth you. That's our Lord God. He takes this stuff pretty serious. Look at chapter 42. Look at chapter 42, verse 8. Man, we got a God that takes this stuff serious. Prophecy. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. He doesn't want you making graven images. He doesn't want you bound down to another God. Our God is a jealous God. He takes this stuff very seriously. Verse 9. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. The testimony of God is prophecy. The testimony of Jesus Christ is prophecy. It's the spirit of prophecy. Brothers and sisters, the reason why you got this book in your lap, and I hope the reason why you believe in this book is because it's prophetic. And the reason why you know it's God's words is because God says, you'll know it's me because I'll show you what happens before it happens. Look at Isaiah 46. Look at Isaiah 46. I know we're turning to a lot of scripture, but I'm showing you this, this where God's declaring this all through Isaiah. Hey, I'm God, and the reason you know I'm God is because I'm going to show you what happens, and, and you'll know what happened, and when it does happen, you know it's me. You won't be, don't, be, don't be giving the credit to your false gods. Isaiah, look at Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9. Remember... Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Amen. That's our God. We got a very unique God. You know why? Because he's the only God. Amen. I mean, he's God. He's Jehovah. He's the Lord God. He's the creator of the universe. 
Man loves to try to get rid of God, push him over in a corner. They love to take God and make a straw man God. They try to make God do something he doesn't do. They try to make God think a way he doesn't think. Our God's very unique. And that's why I encourage you more than anything, read your Bible on a daily basis. Get into this book. Find out about this book. Read your Bible. You need to find out, because let me tell you something I found out years ago as a young Christian. God, I said, when I first got saved, I had this idea of God like he's up in the sky. It's, like a, it's, like the, it's almost like the way people feel about government. It's just like they're there, but you, can't, you don't know what, you know what. God has got a personality. This might not be a revelation to some of y'all, but it was a revelation to me as a kid, as a young teenager. When I was 17, 18, God's got a personality. What do I mean by that? God has things he likes. God has things he dislikes. So there's some things that can make God happy. There's some things that can make God mad. God's got a personality just like all of y'all in here have different personalities. Y'all have y'all's likes and your dislikes. Amen? Amen, y'all do. Guess what? You're created in his image. There's things that make you happy. There's things that make you sad. There's things that make you angry. God's just like that. Just like you see Jesus Christ, God manifest in flesh. You see Jesus Christ. There's some things Jesus Christ is happy about. Some things Jesus Christ gets angry about. Times Jesus Christ takes that table in the temple and flips the table over and has that whip and he's driving people out. There's other times he has a kid and he puts the kid on his lap. Our God's got a personality. You better find out what he likes and doesn't like. And the way you do is you get into this book. And there's none like him. Verse 9, and there is none like me. <clears throat> there's nobody like our Lord God. He's very unique. You know what God said in another a scripture there in Isaiah? He says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. We like to try to think like God and can't figure it out. You're never going to figure out God. Amen? You never can. I mean, there's times where I've seen God do something. And I, in my mind, it's God through and through doing it. And I've seen God do it, and it's took me 20 years to look back and go, oh, now I kind of I understand why God let that happen. But there's things that happen on a daily basis in my life. Some things are probably going to happen today that I'm going to think, why did God do that? Why did God allow that? Why did God do that? I don't know. But God says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts, Keegan. Stop trying to figure me out. Verse 10 Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel, my counsel shall, shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. <laughs> See, God says, You know what? I'm God, and I'm going to do what I like. So, I don't like the way God does that. Well, tough. He's God, He does what He likes. I don't like that God chose the Jew as His chosen people. We'll get over it. That's His chosen people. He's a racist. I guess he is. He only loves the Jew. His Jew is his chosen people. That's who his chosen people are. That race of Jews right there. Everybody else is a drop in the bucket to him. They're nothing to him. You got to get in Jesus Christ. Amen. If you want to be something in God, you better get in Jesus Christ. And guess what Jesus Christ is? He's a Jew. That's how God works. Say, does that make any sense? I don't know. You know what God says? If you'll take your faith and put your faith in that dead Jew that was hanging there 2,000 years ago on a cross, I'll save you. <laughs> Does that make any sense to us? No, we want to work. So what work do I need to do? What work do I need to do? Jesus Christ says, I'll tell you the work of God. Believe on him that God sent. That's what Christ said in John chapter 6. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times of things that are not yet done. 
you realize that you could turn to the very end of this Bible and it tells you what's going to happen in the end that's going on right now and what's going to happen in the future. And that, this thing, that Revel, book of Revelation was written 2,000 years ago. And it's like opening up a modern day paper. Y'all been with me? Some of y'all been in here while I've been preaching through the book of Revelation. It's amazing stuff in there. It's like reading a modern day. It's like opening up the papers. And that's what's going on today. Look at Isaiah chapter 48. There's none like our God. There's none like Isaiah chapter 48, verse 3. There's none like our God. But people try to say there is. Right? Look at Isaiah chapter 48. Uh, look at verse 3. Isaiah 48, 3. There's none like our God. I have declared the former things from the beginning. And they went forth out of my mouth. And I showed them. I did them suddenly. And they came to pass. See, God says, there's none, there's none like me. But then Muhammad comes along and says, hey, there's a God called Allah. And he's just like the Jehovah God. And he's nothing like Jehovah God. And if you study this book right here, and I have some, it's called the Glorious Quran. And if you read through this book, and I read through a bunch of it, I hadn't read through every bit of it because it ma makes me fall asleep. It's deader than a doorknob, this thing here right here. But what they'll say is, there's prophecy in this book right here. I said, hmm. So I miss, I know uh, the way modern day technology is, y'all are very blessed to be in modern technology because if you have a Muslim say, there's, there's prophecy in the Quran, say, okay, well, you know what I can do? I'll Google it. Amen? I mean, the Internet's horrible for a million different reasons, right? But, man, when it comes to answering questions about stuff, you can Google it. So I say, you know what? I'm going to Google it. I'm going to say, I'm going to find a Muslim, on, Google a Muslim, Google it, and say, prophecy in the Quran. And they gave me some websites. So I went through Red You want to, I'm going to read you some prophecies in the Quran. This is the Quran. It's glorious, not holy, amen. It says glorious Quran. Here's one of them. This is what they, this is what they, this is not my words. I didn't make this stuff up. You can go on and Google it yourself. We all can be Googled in here, amen? Not just the pastor. So in, it's Surah chapter 81 verse, chapter 81 verse 8. When souls are reunited. That's a prophecy. When souls are reunited. What is that prophecy? What's that? That's a prophecy? Yeah, according to the, a Muslim, that's prophecy. That's prophecy of modern day communications. Fast transport systems, telephones, satellite systems, the internet have been brought so close to each other, proving the truthfulness of the Holy Quran. <laughs> they're taking, they're taking when souls are reunited and saying, that's modern day telecommunications. But if that's prophecy to you, you're a moron. Say, you should use the word moron a lot because I'm surrounded by morons in this world. They don't use no common sense. You want me to give you another one? Saint, look, I got it underlined. If you don't want to believe me, you can come over and read it for yourself. Highlight it, underline. I even got a little thing in here where I'm laughing like, ha, 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 ha. Because this is a good one. Look at, listen to this one. I want you all to guess what this prophecy is. When the wild beasts are herded together. That's a prophecy in the Quran. That's their prophecy. That's how they're proving that this Quran is holy because it's got prophecy. When the wild beasts are herded together, what does that mean? Y'all have a guess? That's a prophecy of zoos. Don't y'all morons know that? 
No, it's a zoo. Nobody could ever have imagined that one day wild beasts would be captured, tamed, and put together in close open parks. The establishments of zoos have fulfilled this prophecy. Cuckoo, 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 cuckoo. What are you talking about? If you're going to say that's a prophecy of zoos, that could be a prophecy of a rodeo. Amen. Or a cattle auction. Amen. Or the modern day school system. Amen, I got you, that one, sister. Amen, amen. Wild beasts gathered together. That's modern day school system. That's the kind of nonsense you get into when you look at other religions and what they claim. My book prophesies. No, it doesn't. That's, that's nonsense. That's foolishness. Look at Isaiah 48, verse 3. I have declared the former things from the beginning, and they went forth out of my mouth. I have showed them. I did them suddenly, and they came to pass. Look at verse 5. I have even from the beginning declared it to thee. Before it came to pass, I showed it thee, lest thou shouldest say, Mine idol hath done them, and my graven image, and my molten image hath commanded them. God knows. God says, you know what? I'm bringing this famine, this pestilence. I'm doing all this. I'm going to bring in this foreign country. I'm going to bring them down. They're going to destroy you. And he tells them that's what's going to happen, and that's exactly what happens. He says, I'm doing it because I don't want this. If I don't say I did it, you'll say, oh, my graven image is mad at me. I need to give it a little bit more fruit this week. As a sacrifice. That's how, that's how we are. Everybody in this room is like that. We could fall victim to this so easily. So if I'm going to run my mouth, I better start showing you some prophecy. Amen? Let's look at Isaiah chapter 7. I better start showing you some prophecy or y'all gonna, I'm going to lose you. Isaiah 7, 14. So let's look in, the, in closing. In closing, as I close this up, let's start looking at some prophecy. I've run my mouth that God has prophesied all through this Bible, but I haven't shown you one yet, have I? Well, let me, let me solve that problem. And show you Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel is God with us. There's a prophecy of the virgin birth. Right there. There's the prophecy of the virgin birth. Now, the problem, the real, one problem people have is they don't realize, and, and some people know this, but some people kind of forget it. This book is a, is, this is a holy book, and the Bible is a, is a Bible. It's called a Bible because it's a collection of books. So that, what I just read to you was the book of Isaiah, or the scroll of Isaiah, that was written 700 years before Christ was born as a virgin, of a virgin birth. So that prophecy you're reading, that I just read to you, was written by Isaiah, written down, and then 700 years later, Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Happened one time in history, never has happened again. Amen? Amen. Okay. I mean, there's been no proof of it. Jesus is the proof of it. He should give you, behold, a virgin shall conceive. 700 years later. So you've got 66 books in this Bible, and they were all written at certain times over certain periods, over a 3,500-year length of period. So you have, 700, you have that, what I'm reading to you was written 2,700 years ago, but it was 700 years before Christ was born. That was written. Look at chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We're just getting started. Isaiah chapter 9. This, this Bible's full of this stuff. It's full of it. I can't give you all this in a 30-minute sermon. But it should give you enough of it. To, if you're in here or if you're listening to me and you doubt the Lord God and you doubt this Bible or you don't believe, this should make you question it. 
What I'm showing you this morning should make you question yourself and say, maybe I should start believing. Maybe I should look into this. At the very least, let me tell you, for your soul's sake, please look into this. Don't just take what somebody says, all that Bible is just written by men. Well, if it's just written by men, how are they knowing all of this 700 years before it takes place? Isaiah 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born. And us a son is given. This is obviously a prophecy of Jesus Christ. How do you know? Look at this. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. It's a prophecy of Jesus Christ being born and being called wonderful and counselor and being called an almighty God, the Father. Listen, that's Jesus Christ. Now you can sit there and you can doubt it and say, well, that could have been anyone. You could apply those verses to anybody and I'll give you that. I'm fair enough, I'll give you that. But turn to Isaiah 44. Turn to Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44, verse 28. See, you're, you're doing your ba daily Bible reading, and maybe you didn't catch this one. This is an amazing one. Oh, the, sco the scholars don't like this. The scholars don't like this at all. Look at verse 28. Simple verse, right? Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28. That saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure. Even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. What you don't realize, maybe, if, unless you study this out, is that was written 175 years before Cyrus was even born. And what happens is Cyrus is a king. He's born of the Medes and the Persians, and he allows Israel to go back in and start rebuilding Jerusalem. He declares that Cyrus does. And he's named what he's going to do, and he's given his name of who he is that's going to do it. And that was written 175 years by the prophet Isaiah through the Holy Spirit gave him that prophecy. And he goes on in chapter 45, verse 1, and calls him the anointed to Cyrus. It's amazing what God has done in this Bible. See, what happens is men try to, they just doubt that. They see that and they say, well, I wasn't there. I didn't see God, hear God say that. I didn't see it written down. And they, 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 they can't process that. And in, in turn, because they don't want to believe in a God anyway, they just take prophecies like that and they say, well, I, I'm not going to deal with that. I'm just going to ignore that and pretend like they wrote that after the fact, that somebody came along and wrote that after the fact. Well, let me show you one on modern day. Amen? So let's see if we can get one on modern day to kind of help you out with that doubt. Look at Isaiah 66. And here's one that's a strange one. Isaiah 66. Here's one of a strange, here's a strange one. Because you can sit there and doubt it and say, well, I don't know, but God's not showing me anything. That, that's the stuff that they wrote before, after it happened, they wrote it and inserted it in there. Some, some, some scholar or some, some a script scribe, he, he wrote it in there after the fact. And Man, you can believe that if you want to believe that. But after a while, it gets kind of comical to believe that. But look at Isaiah chapter 66, verse 8. Who hath heard of such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Notice, no, underline this. Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. You know what that's a prophecy of? 
Nobody could understand that prophecy. Has a nation been born at once? There's never been a nation born at once in the history of mankind. There's never been a nation just born on one day. Just, there's never been a nation like that in the history of mankind. There's never been a nation like that, but there's been one, and it happened in 1948. When Israel, the Jews, came out of the Holocaust, and they were looking for their homeland, and they wouldn't let them go back to their homeland, and the United Nations got together, and they're like, well, we're going to let the, Israel, the Jews go back to the homeland, and the Arabians and the Muslims are like, no, we don't want them here, we don't want them to come back, and if there was up to one vote, it was up to Truman, President Truman, and President Truman was advised by all his counsel, don't vote, it'll cause trouble, all the Arabians with the oil, they'll get mad, they'll cut the oil off from us, you know what Truman did anyway? He voted in the United Nations, and Israel became a nation in one day. 1948 who's heard of such a thing never before but notice this prophecy is directly related to Zion the land of Zion brothers and sisters God's people are God's chosen people and he does what he wants to do and if you read this book you'll see this whole history is pointing to God it's hard to get around that one right there go back to Psalms 22 Go back to Psalms 22. I got a few minutes. I'll show you another one. Psalms 22. This is a one on Christ. You know what? Scholars know this truth. They know that this book of Psalms was written years and years and years. They've got it dated. They know this book of Psalms was written years and years before Christ was crucified. They know it. They can proclaim it. But they know that they do, this makes God a prophet. This makes God a prophet. Prophecy. Look at Psalms 22. This is a psalm of the crucifixion. Look at verse 1. Psalms 22, 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, who said that? Christ said that. Jesus said those very words when he was hanging on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This was written 1,000 years before Christ was born. This is written 1,000 years before Christ was born, 1,033 years before Christ was crucified. 1,000 years! And he's written, he's written, and you say, well, Christ is just quoting what he read in Psalms. That's true, right? That's exactly what's going on. Look at verse 7. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. That's exactly what the Pharisees said of Christ when he was hanging on the cross, remember? Ah, uh, if he's really the chosen one of God, let him come down and save him. He can't even save himself. I, there, that's exactly. It gets even worse. Look at down at verse uh, 14. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. That's Christ hanging on the cross. Look at verse 16. For dogs, verse 16, for dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. 1,000 years before Christ was crucified, it says, they pierced my hands and my feet while he's hanging on the cross. Look at verse 17. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. You know Christ is the only one on the crucifixion, at that crucifixion day, that didn't have his bones broken? They didn't break a one of them. They came to break Jesus Christ's legs like that broke the thief's legs, and they come to break his legs so he'd go into shock and die quick. They wanted him to die, and they said, he's already dead. 
And the, and the one centurion said, you think he's already dead? He's already dead. And he takes his spear and he thrusts it in the side. And in the side, the Bible says, blood and water came out. And that told him, hey, he's already dead. Look, water's in there with that blood. He's not alive. He's dead. So they didn't break his legs. He could tell every bone. You know, when they did the Passover lamb and they put the blood on the Passover door, on the door and you would get in the door and Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. You know that Passover lamb? They were not allowed to break a bone of that Passover lamb. Gets even worse. Look at this. Look at verse 18. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Exactly what happened. They got Jesus' robe. It was a beautiful one-piece robe that was kind of like, we'd call it a poncho. It came over. It had a hole in it. And it's one piece woven within and without. And they're like, Don't, let's not tear this up. Let's just gamble for it. So they started rolling dice to see who got to win it and get that, that his cloak. This is exactly what was prophesied. It's going to happen a thousand years before Christ came. You know, for those, all those prophecies of Jesus Christ to take place, it's impossible, mathematically impossible for that to take place. Man, you can believe, it's a free country. You can believe whatever you want to believe, right? If you want to believe in the Quran, go ahead. It's a free country. But I'm here to tell you, man, I'm a, as a Christian, this stuff amazes me. Turn to Revelation 13 and we're closing. Man, this book's full of this stuff. It's full of it. And I don't have time, of course, to go through all of it. But I, I, this isn't some simple thing where... They gathered the beast together. Oh, look, it's a zoo. You know, this isn't something stupid like that. These are direct, uh, direct prophecies that are fulfilled directly. God's even naming names. But look at Revelation chapter 13. Look at verse 15 and 16. Now, one of the prophecies that Jesus Christ did in Matthew, which is an amazing prophecy, he's walking through the temple, and that temple at that day was one of the wonders of the world because Herod had built it. It took him 50 years to build that temple. It wasn't as good as Solomon's, but it was pretty good. And they were walking through it, and his disciples, and Jesus is walking through it, and Jesus says, you see these stones right here? And the disciples said, yeah. Jesus says, there's not going to be a stone left, one turned upon another. And they're like, whoa. You know what they said to Jesus? What are the signs of the end times? And Jesus, Jesus told them. And everything Jesus told them, nation will ride against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be race wars. There'll be, there'll be tsunamis. There'll be hurricanes. There'll be tornadoes. There'll be earthquakes in diverse places. Everything Jesus told them in Matthew 24. Now, you can believe what you want to believe. I read that in the paper daily that we're going to the end times. I read that in the paper daily. Well, that prophecy he did of the temple of the, 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 the stone, one stone left upon another. If you look at that temple at the time, it's like, man, I could see how the Jews could be run out of here, but why would, there, why would this temple be torn down? It's so beautiful. Well, in 70 AD, when the Roman, Roman Tit the Titus governor came in, Titus, the Roman governor, he came in. He came in to destroy the Jews and run them out. They went into the temple and they hid out. There was a, they said there was hundreds of thousands of them in there, and they killed them all in there. But whenever he, Titus took it over, you know what Titus said? There's gold buried in this temple. And he pushed every stone upon another over to try to find that gold and tore the temple down. So if you take your eyeballs, and everybody in here can see, I believe, everybody's got good sight, you can go home, Google it up in 2023 and look at the Temple Mount. If you look at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, that Temple Mount is flat except for the Dome of the Mosque. And there's not a stone left another of that old temple. Just like Jesus said 2,000 years ago. 
But I want to finish off by showing you this prophecy. Verse 15, it says in the end times that, the, that there'll be a person rise up. We call him the Antichrist, the beast. He's going to rise up. Verse 15, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as will not worship the image of the beast should be killed. A hundred, now, now guys, you've got to meditate on this. You've got to think this through. A hundred years ago, they couldn't imagine that you could create something where some image could move and speak. Right? All y'all in here have seen that a million times. Y'all have seen robots. Y'all have seen what AI is doing. Y'all have seen where they're making images. It looks just like a human. And it talks and moves and walks and speaks, right? This was written 2,000 years ago. <laughs> and you can know it can happen today. It's happening today. Verse 16, though, look at this, though. And causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell, save that he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And then he goes on to say it's 666, it's 666. But notice verse 17, that they can't buy or sell unless they have a mark. A hundred years ago, 150 years ago, they laughed at that verse. There's no way that one man could control the whole world by putting a mark on. There's no way because you could just go outside, just go. The, how would you just go and buy stuff at the store? How would you control somebody? How would you do that? Uh, they never could have imagined the thing called computers. And if you've ever been in Walmart, you go in Walmart and you want to buy something, and the computer's down, you're not buying nothing. You're not buying nothing. Computers are controlling the world now, and now we're getting to where now. What's going on now? There's one banking system. And we're getting to where they're trying to create a one banking system. And y'all know this to be true. If you've been following the news, what's been going on? And what are they trying to do? They're trying to put chips into people's hands to where when they go into the store, you don't have to have your bank account or your money or your debit card. You just have this little chip in your hand and you just scan the little, over the, and then it tells how much money's in your bank account. And, you can, and it tells if you've had the vaccine or not. And you know if the wrong person gets a hold of all this technology, what could they do? Exactly what this Bible describes right there 2,000 years ago. Did I just say they were going to try to put that in your hand, didn't I? Have y'all been hearing that? Raise your hand if you've heard they're trying to put a chip in your hand. Did you read what that just said? Go back up to verse 16, and I'm closing right here in verse 16. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark where? Not on in the right hand or in the foreheads. <laughs> this Bible's running way ahead of anything you know or, or can think of right there. You got the right book, brothers and sisters. The testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. And everybody else are pretenders. This is it. This is why I believe this is the words of God. I see stuff like that all through this Bible. It doesn't scare me. It gets me excited. Because you know what? It confirms that I've got the right one in Jesus Christ. And he says, I told you this, that you may believe when it comes to pass, you may believe I am he. So I'm going to finish off by saying, do you believe he's one? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? Have you come to him? You need to. You need to come to him and get saved. The Bible says that all those that don't come to Jesus Christ and get saved, there's a devil's hell waiting on them. 
I don't take any pleasure in saying that, but hell is real and hell is hot. The Bible describes it all the way. From, from the first of the Bible to the end of the Bible, it's nothing but about hell. And that's why I'm up here this morning. I, I, I want to prove to you that this Bible is real. I want to prove to you that this Bible is written by God. But I also want you to know that you need Jesus Christ. As you're, I've, I've failed my mission. If I, if, I get, if, I, if I convince you that this Bible is supernatural and you go to hell, I've, I've failed you. Because to know all of this and to lose your own soul is a devil's hell. But you don't have to have it. it Jesus Christ says it, all you have to do is come to him. And believe and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3, verse 16, and most people have heard this verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, it's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13 he sums it up. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. 
I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him.